All right, turn to the person next to you and say, do you have a favorite Bible verse? Maybe they can give you what book and chapter it's in, or just, oh, it's the, it's the one that says something like this. Maybe you could quote it all the way through. Do you have a favorite Bible verse? Ask the person next to you. I bet they do. I'll give you about 10 seconds. Share a favorite Bible verse. So here are some of, uh, some of the favorite Bible verses that I've heard for many, many years. Let's put them up on the board. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. What else? Lots of favorite verses. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. How about, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to bless you and not to harm you. Or maybe it's, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love them. A lot of favorite verses. How about, uh, do not fear, neither be afraid, for I am with you. Or, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will provide a way out. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. That's a favorite of a lot of people. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul said. How about the love chapter? Love is patient, love is kind, does not keep a record of wrongs, so on and so forth. Do not be discouraged. We need that a lot, don't we? Are we hitting any of your favorite verses, by the way? How about this one? Um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Couple more. Do not be conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12. How about this one? I have come that they may have life, Jesus said, and that they may have it abundantly. How about... Come to me, all you who are weary. Jesus said that. I take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. I go to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14. So, lot of favorite verses. Some time ago, someone told me, you know, um, you don't really have that many more sermons to preach here at Pomerado. You should just preach on some of your favorite verses. So I've been paying attention to some of these. And in my reading, a couple months ago, I ran across a verse that I thought, this is no one's favorite verse. I'm just sure of it. No one says, oh boy, this is my verse. But the more I looked at it and saw what Paul was saying, might be one of his favorite verses. It just seemed so strange to me. I had to dig into it a little. And so that's today's sermon. No one's favorite verse. Now, do me a favor and take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1 <clears throat> in the church Bible. It's uh, page 1829. And put a marker in there and close your Bible. Open to Colossians chapter, 20, chapter 1, put a marker in there, close it, because I'm going to put the words of this verse up on the screen, and I want you to look there. We'll get back to the Bible. Of course, every week we open up the Bible. We want to know what God has to say for us. <clears throat> but when I read this verse, I thought, man, I don't think this is anyone's favorite verse. Here, here's what Paul said. Look at this. 
I am suffering and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Ooh, I thought, I'm not sure I like that verse for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it says, you know, Christ didn't suffer enough. I have to suffer too. And I don't like the idea of suffering, filling up my body with the afflictions of Christ. And, but also, I just think, it sounds wrong. Not, not just it sounds uncomfortable. It sounds wrong. Like Paul is saying, Christ didn't suffer enough. There's, there's something lacking in what Jesus did on the cross. That, that doesn't sound like Paul. So that's just why I had to dig into it. The first thing I thought was, oh, this is no one's favorite verse. But then I looked at it some more, and I think we should pull it apart a little bit. So the first thing I want to say is what it does not mean, all right? And then we're going to open up your Bible, I, I, I promise you. First of all, it does not mean that the atonement of Christ is somehow inadequate. The atonement meaning what Christ did on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. So it's not saying that Christ's death was inadequate and we have to we have to make more payments for this into the world no he paid for it all in fact i have my bible open to colossians and in the very next chapter chapter 2 verse 13 don't open yet let's just read it to you here's one of the many verses that would say no this is not what paul is saying because just a few paragraphs later he says when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. All right? All the sin, if, if you've put your faith in Christ, all the sins you've ever sinned or ever will sin, those are paid for. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. All right? That's Colossians 2. So whatever Paul means in Colossians chapter 1, it's not that the atonement of Christ was inadequate. It is adequate. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, maybe what it means is, but Paul, you're such a bad sinner, and there are others who are bad sinners, that they are going to have to endure extra punishment. All right? Maybe that's what it means. I think that is not what it means. It doesn't mean that, oh, you're so bad, you're going to need extra punishment. Christ took all that on the cross. No, cross that out. That is not what Paul is saying. Now, by the way, I will say some of our sins have consequences that need to be dealt with. And yes, some of our sins, we have to pay back a debt or apologize for a wrong. We need to uh, clear up a, a legal problem with uh, someone else, but, but not with God. Those are taken care of. So, what does this mean? 
What is Paul saying? So um, maybe we need to look at this verse again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now, I didn't have you open your Bible because I actually left some words out. <clears throat> this is the stark part of it that got my attention. But the first part of the verse says something even more shocking, where Paul says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering. What? I rejoice in what I'm suffering? Of course, right now, you know, Paul's in prison. He's been in prison many times. He's been beat up, kicked around, whipped, all that kind of stuff. But, but now look at these words. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. He's writing to the believers at Colossae, the Colossians. And he's saying, I'm doing this for a reason. And that reason is you. Now still, I would think, who would say this? Oh, I have so much joy because I'm suffering for you. Would anyone say that? And it occurs to me that any mother who's ever given birth to a child pretty much knows what this means. Yes, there is suffering. But that's not the important thing. You know, it's Johnny's sixth birthday. Now, Johnny, I just want you to know, six years ago, I went through a lot of pain because of you. You know, we put out a cake, we blew out the candles, we opened presents. Because in spite of the pain, it was worth it. Now, that's easy for me to say as a father, but that's what mothers say. Of course we did this. It was for you to bring you into the world. Now, what Paul is saying, I think, is something similar. Let's put the rest of the verse up on the board. Now, I rejoice at what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. See, there's two ways we use the word, the body of Christ. One is the actual physical body that God himself came down and took on a body lark like ours. And in that body, he suffered on the cross and he died and he paid for the sins of the world. And some people might say, how is, it, how is that fair that one person, one person's payment on a cross could cover all of the sins of the world. Well, it's because that one person was the divine God who has infinite value. And that divine God became a person, a human, a man, who was willing to die, not because he ever sinned. He was totally righteous and holy. He was the almighty God, but because of his infinite value in eternity, he can pay an infinite price on the cross and to cover all our sins. So it actually is fair and right and just. But there's another way we use the term the body of Christ, because now that that body of Christ has ascended, now we refer to the church of Christ, the people, the followers of Christ, who come together collectively like a body. And Paul said, that's what you've done. You've become part of the body of Christ. 
How did you do that? When you heard the good news and responded to it and became a follower of Christ. And it took a lot of work from me and suffering as Paul traveled around, got beat up and pushed around and thrown in prison. He said, I gladly do that. I rejoice in that, just so that you could hear the good news and become a part of the family of God. So actually, open up your Bible and let's read this whole section. And then we're going to talk about what does it mean? What does this mean? Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. I'm on page 1829. <clears throat> this is a, a fabulous passage. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all of its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I'm glad to do it. And I think he's saying you should too. What does this mean? Actually, let me refer to one more passage and put them right next to each other, and I think it'll help you to see it even further. So the, the letter right before Colossians is the letter of Philippians, and Paul uses a very similar phrase. Colossians, we just read this, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. To the Philippians, he used some of the same words and, and referred to Epaphroditus, who was from Philippi, and, and when they heard Paul was in prison and was suffering and needed financial help, they gathered a very large offering of money. In fact, in chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul refers to it. He said, you more than made up my lack. Your donation was more than ample to meet all my needs. So Epaphroditus was the one who carried the donation from Philippi to Rome, where Paul was quite a distance. Along the way, he almost died. But eventually, he made it and... and um, presented the donation to Paul. So here's what Paul says to the Philippians in regards to their friend Epaphroditus and this trip he made with the money. Epaphroditus was risking his life in order to fill in what was lacking in your donation. Well, wait a minute. What was lacking in their donation? He, he said they actually gathered a lot of money, more than what he needed. 
What was lacking was they couldn't get it to him. So what good is the donation if they can't get it to Paul in Rome? This is where Epaphroditus said, I'll take it. And so he walked all that way, carrying this donation, almost died in the process, but he made it. And Paul said, he, Epaphroditus, filled in what was lacking. The lacking part was getting it to him. Similarly, when we look at Christ on the cross, there's nothing lacking with the sacrifice he made. It just it hasn't reached everyone yet. Not everyone has heard it. Not everyone has understood it. And Paul said, that's what's lacking, and that's what I can do and you can do to make a difference. Let me just spell this out line by line, okay? What does this mean? First of all, oh, by the way, let's take another example. Remember last Christmas, we collected $13,000 to give to Generate Hope so that they could help solve the problem of human trafficking right here in San Diego. By the way, did you see the news this week? Talk about human trafficking, and we might think, oh, this is a problem that's far away and it doesn't happen very much. It happens in San Diego, all right? So this week at San Diego Airport, a, uh, a um, informed uh, ticket counter lady sees two teenage girls walk up. They're kind of nervous. They have first class tickets to New York one way. Why do two nervous teenage girls have first class tickets one way to New York? And the ticket agent thought, this is a little sketchy. So she calls in a security guard to just talk with them. And they explain, well, we have this new friend who's recruited us to go be models and have a photo shoot. All right, so I think we're finally getting smart enough to we know, wait a minute. And that's this woman really rescued those two girls. In fact, when the security guard said, well, who is this person? They had information. They had, you know, uh, 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 information online and all that. But as soon as that guy was contacted by a security guard, all of his information online miraculously disappeared within minutes. If they had got on that plane, their families would never see them again. This is how trafficking happens. And this is why we need to be smarter, we need to be more generous, and this is why we collected all that money, but what if we couldn't get it down to generate hope? Okay, all we did was write a check and we mailed it to them, it's that easy. But let's think like first century, okay? What, what if someone had to walk that distance? Would you be willing to do that? Walk from Poway to Coronado. You might have to swim part of the distance, but I would think, that would be so cool. That would take a day, but wouldn't that be worth it? To take this, this generous donation and give it to people who are gonna use it for awesome purposes. I mean, wouldn't you be willing to do that? That's what Paul is saying about Epaphroditus. He wanted to pitch in, yes, he suffered. He almost died, but it's worth it. Okay, now, here, let's, make, let's connect the dots. 
what does this verse mean? Why do we read a verse and say, this is no one's favorite verse, but Paul would say, whoa, 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 it's one of my favorite. Because, first of all, all right, God's justice has been fully satisfied. Let's get that straight. God's justice, he has to do what is just. Sin has to be punished. But God punished all those sins in Christ on the cross. And God's justice has been satisfied. That is really good news, isn't it? Yes. But when Jesus died on the cross, and by the way, people who were mad at him put him on the cross and killed him. It was all a part of God's plan. They're still wrong in doing it. But after he died, they still hated him. They still opposed him. They, like people like Paul, arrested Christians and persecuted them. So even though God's justice has been fully satisfied, those opposing Christ are not satisfied. They're still fighting him, and still today. Now, some are openly opposing Christ and his people. They are persecuting them and hurting them and chasing them out of town. Others are more just maybe ignoring Christ. Oh, you Christians, what do you have to say? Yeah, yeah, blah, blah. You know, so it comes in all sorts. Or maybe there's some people who are <clears throat> open to spiritual things. It's just like, how, you know, we've heard that story over and over. It doesn't make any sense. So even today, there are those who are opposing or ignoring Christ. Now, what Paul is saying is this. Point three, the work of redeeming people is finished. Redeeming means to buy them back. They were caught in their sinfulness and owed a huge debt, but that debt was paid. They were bought back. They were redeemed. This is true of every person who turns to Christ and anyone who still turns to Christ. You can be redeemed. The work of redeeming people was finished on the cross. But the work of reaching them still continues. That's not done yet. There's still many people who haven't heard the good news in a way that makes sense to them. There are people in foreign countries who've never heard anything about Jesus. There are people in your neighborhood who probably heard it, but it just doesn't connect with them. So what Paul is saying, even though this might not be your favorite verse, it is your utter privilege to be a part of those people of promoting Jesus, helping taking the good news of Jesus, that we have the privilege of promoting Jesus. That's the, the last point on your outline. We have the privilege of promoting Jesus, helping it make sense to people. And that's still a part of the price that we can pay. Um, delivering the message, just like Epaphroditus took the donation. We have the most precious news in the world, and we get to carry that donation to people, that gift, that good news. So maybe the question we need to ask is this last one. Okay, what does it not mean? What does it mean? 
and what does it what it means for me how do you participate in this think well our church sends missionaries around the world yes yes and your donations help that but how do you help carry the message of Jesus to the people in your neighborhood to the people in your workplace well you know they're not really interested so as I said I started preparing this message about two months ago but last Monday I a book caught my eye on the internet brand new I think it's the first book and I've read in 2018 it showed up Friday and I'm almost finished with it and it has examples of what I think Paul would say, yeah, 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 that kind of thing. What does it mean to me? It means you can help take the donation of God's grace to other people. Now the book is called The Way Back and it's by uh, Phil Cook and Jonathan Bach. And they're saying, have you noticed that some of your friends and neighbors are not really paying attention to what Christians say. Maybe it's because we're not saying it in a way that gets their attention. Maybe it's that we shouldn't be saying it, we should be living it. So here are just three examples from the book of what they're saying. Maybe we should do more of this kind of thing. Can I give you three examples real quickly? And then you decide how does God want to use you to promote the message of Jesus. Here's one example. One morning, while jogging to his favorite coffee place, Jonathan noticed the extraordinary number of homeless people living in the shadows of just that four-mile jog. So he made the decision to learn the names of every homeless person he could find within walking distance of his house. Jonathan learned their names, and he listened to their stories. And he discovered it doesn't take much to impact their lives for the better. It started small, a cup of coffee um, and a sandwich. And then maybe a new pair of socks, then a pair of shoes. But that increased to the point where last year he helped get three people off the street and begin new productive lives. Can we take the good news to people in a way they understand and respond? Let me give you another example from this book, The Way Back. He didn't tell anyone who he really was. He just applied for the job. And then he showed up and quietly did the work weekend after weekend. He cleaned toilets, washed dishes, bust tables and during that time his heart changed his heart changed for months his secret was safe but finally someone on staff there discovered that when he wasn't at the bar doing the janitor job on weekends he was actually a millionaire and a christian and everyone at that bar was stunned. Knowing in his heart that he had always harbored negative feelings about a certain kind of people who often went to that bar, he decided 
to do something radical. He applied to be the part-time janitor on weekends of that certain bar. The owners and the patrons were surprised, to say the least, and they wanted to know, why are you cleaning bathrooms at our bar? They put him on the spot. He didn't preach or lecture. He simply explained that he was a follower of Jesus and wanted to learn to be a servant. <clears throat> the patrons of that bar weren't ready for that response. Over the years, they had seen the judgmental side of Christians, criticism, elections, pickets, petitions. But the serving side of Christians was unfamiliar. It made an impact on them and him. As our friend told his story about how the experience cleaning restrooms changed him and his heart, it also began to transform how the patrons of that bar looked at Christians. See, this is a part of taking the message. It might mean cleaning toilets. Would you be willing to do that if it would help someone understand Christ? Third example. Several years ago, John and his wife Kelly felt moved to post an online ad locally in the free stuff section of Craigslist asking anyone with a serious financial need at Christmas time to just respond. Now, most readers probably assumed it was a scam, but sure enough, a few moms who were desperate enough responded to their ad on Craigslist. For those who responded, it wasn't for themselves. They were suffering every parent's nightmare. They wouldn't be able to afford Christmas for their kids. So a few days before Christmas, John and Kelly arranged to meet them at a local Target. Now, it was a public place, a store they knew, it was easy to find, but still it's Craigslist and predators are everywhere. You could see how, you know, it's kind of risky. But despite the risks, the moms showed up. John and Kelly enthusiastically met them with shopping carts, introduced themselves, started asking, hey, what do your kids really need for Christmas? And after an hour or two, <clears throat> the shopping carts were full of toys, clothing, and plenty of food for a great Christmas dinner. A quick trip through the checkout line and those moms' parental nightmare was transformed into the greatest Christmas of their entire lives. Grand total at the checkout, about 350 bucks per family. Is that too much to pay? So how, how many moms were there? Three or four, was it a thousand bucks, 1,500? They said, we're willing to do this if it makes a difference. Now, although the event was not focused on trying to convert people, John and Kelly did share with each woman who came that it was their faith in God that motivated them to help. And they offered to pray with each mom before she left the store. And with tears in their eyes, these moms could hardly express the difference this one kind act of generosity had made in their lives. And then they have some letters from the moms. They said, you were like an angel for me. The word angel means someone bringing a message. What message are you carrying? Are we willing to be a part of this 
ongoing challenge to fill up what is lacking in Christ's sacrifice. It's not lacking in the sacrifice, it's already done. But the message needs to get out. It might be no one's favorite verse, but it's all of our privilege to give and go and love for Jesus. May we be like a, a snowstorm blanketing our community with the love of Christ, making a difference for him and loving the people he loves all around us. Let's pray. Lord, now we celebrate the adequacy of your sacrifice for all the sins of the world. And each one of us here who has accepted that, we take this bread and this cup and we say, thank you, Jesus. But not everyone has heard. So when we're done taking this communion, we're gonna leave. May our lives make a difference. May we participate in any way you call us to, to help share the love of Jesus. And it's for him and his glory. And because of his suffering, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If you're with us here today, our ushers are coming forward to pass the communion trays. You don't have to be a member here. You just have to love Jesus and want to be like him. Take the bread and the cup. You can put the empty cup and the seat in front of you, but take this into your life and say, Lord, I'm sharing in your sufferings and I'm sharing the news of Jesus. So uh, we've sat and we've learned, now it's time to walk out and apply. And just as one final metaphor, I want to remind you, if you've been here for four years or more, or I'll just say, for those of you who are nearer, newer and uh, didn't know this, that our lobby, you're going to walk through the lobby and out the outside doors, okay. Our lobby used to be narrow, dark, crowded, and uh, also the way the threshold of the door was, it was very easy to catch your toe and trip, or for goodness sakes, hope you didn't have any kind of wheeled contraption because it's just very hard to get out or in. So four years ago, we decided it's time to help people come into our building. And I have some pictures of when they busted out all of those blocks and uh, jackhammered out all of that concrete just to widen it and brighten it. And this is what you're going to see when you walk out. It's, all that block wall is gone now. And the, and the crazy thing you trip over is gone. Because we want people to come in. In fact, this happened in August of 2014. Chuck Rubacki says it was the hardest day of all the construction. But you know, construction guys, they don't just complain about it. They get in there and they do it. Get out your jackhammer and get out the sledgehammer. Let's do this thing.
And what I'm saying is, there are other block walls that need to be busted down before people will ever come to our doors. And there walls that are in your neighborhood and in your workplace there are people who have other reasons why they just don't get the message of Christ. And you're that construction worker to help break down those walls with your love, with your hope, with your connection with them. So someday they'll walk through these doors, but not until you do what Paul said, I rejoice in all the hard work I did just to bring you into the body of Christ. May we experience what the joy that Paul experienced by doing whatever it takes to reach people. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go do it.